Hello, listeners, one and all, and welcome to the Carton Cast, where we watch the cartoons that we thought were good when we were kids and see what we think of them now. <laughs> and welcome to the bootlegged segment, where uh, we're going to be watching and talking about a film. That's yes. right. Animated film. So uh, You forgot to pronounce the apostrophe. <laughs> bootlegged. I, yeah, boot, bootlegged. A nice, a nice Shakespearean way. Well, uh, my <laughs> name is Dan. I'm technically your guest today, and we have. Uh, yeah, don't course, don't go crazy with this intro, Dan. Here I'm mad with power. Po- I'm going mad with power. Get away from me. I'm I'm having fun. But anyway, yes, yeah, special uh, Ben, da- special guest Dan, and I'm Zane. Yeah, and my name is Ben. Yeah, we are your delightful hosts for today's bootlegged segment. Uh, Dan, what are we watching? Today, we will be watching Corpse Bride. That's a disclaimer. I have to put a disclaimer, by the way. We're not watching it today, although Dan did. Well, um, <laughs> I, actually, I, 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 technically, I technically finished watching this for the first time about a half an hour ago. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a blissfully short film, so I could do it easily after work. It yeah. is. It's a, it's yeah. a little... It's a little 80-minute uh, uh, snuff film by Tim Burton. <laughs> which, uh... Excuse me, Ben, but I have the Wikipedia page open, and it is technically 77 minutes long. Is it really only 77? It's, it's 77 pretty short. Minutes. Okay. Yeah. It is certainly short for a modern film. Sure. It's, well, you'll be lucky to get out under three hours nowadays. <laughs> that's true. But ten years ago, oh man! Director's cut? Forget about it. I didn't care about I didn't care about Bilbo that goddamn much. <laughs> like he's fine. He's okay. I would have liked him in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he fit right in. <laughs> Stumbling over his own words. Being dying, reincarnating as a ghost, getting spooked, and jumping back into his body. <laughs> yeah, and there's one ring. <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's a different story. Dan, so delighted to have you back. I'm very happy to be back. We Listeners, you may you. you you may recall that uh I like how Zane and I don't actually have any decorum, so we both try to do the same thing at the same time. <laughs> uh uh yes, we we last saw you on the Ah Real Monsters episode. Mm. Uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> please mm, don't be mm, mm. please be, don't be too bewildered by the noises I make. Ah, those real monsters. <laughs> Don't you worry about it. We we trade in bewildered noises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm. and and that was one of my favorite episodes. And so I was very excited to have you back on for something that was sort of horrifying, but as it turned out, maybe not really. It was right. very it, it was a very whimsical horror. Yeah, it was darkly toned, it. but I wouldn't say it was scary in any way. It was very gallows humor, if you ask me, you know? Yeah. Which, it, 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 it makes some people uncomfortable, but all, all, there's still an audience for it, and eh, you know what? I liked it. Honestly, it's it's what Tim Burton is good at. Yeah. The takeaway that I got is that the living world is what's terrible. Yes. That is the main theme that I was going to draw on. Um, but, you know, like, maybe if you are not familiar with Gallo's humor, what better time to get acquainted than with Tim Burton? Right. That's very true. Yep. Like, uh, he he has a very long and <laughs> proud career. Tim Burton, master of the underworld. 
Yes. <laughs> master Prince of the of, Underworld. Master of, of the Afterlife. Master of, it's technically known as Bangsian fantasy when a story <laughs> is uh, based around what the afterlife is like. And he's done plenty of films like that. He's, you know, there's yeah. Corpse Bride. There's always the classic Night Before, before Elm Street. There's Beetlejuice. <laughs> no, no, there is not. That, that, there's, <laughs> there's the Nightmare there's, Before Christmas. I'm sorry. Make sure <laughs> Take a left at the Nightmare if you hit Elm Street too far. If you hate Christmas. I actually, I actually would Christmas. You know what? I, I, I'm going to roll with that. I would love to see a stop motion, whimsical Tim Burton version of Nightmare Before Night, of, on Elm Street. Night be- Nightmare I'm, Before Nightmares. <laughs> Nightmareception. Nightmare, but I wanted to, but before I completely fumbled one of Tim Burton's classic films, I wanted to mention Beetlejuice. Ooh, recovery. Which is another one of. Yeah, and an, another one of his classic uh, expositions on the uh, on the afterlife. You know, Tim Burton gets some hate about his you know repetition, but you know, aside from a few rough spots, he's put out like good film after good film. He's he he does what he's good at, and mm-hmm. although what he's good at good at is, I guess maybe not narrowly defined, but narrowly expressed, it's still good. Yeah, <laughs> it's still good, and something that we don't get elsewhere. So. Yeah. With that, those things in mind, let's uh, let's introduce the production history, which you guys already know, because yes. we don't have any <laughs> any way to segue from one section to the next. So we already told you all of it. So um, <laughs> Tim Burton's Corpse Bride came out in two thousand five. Core Bride, Core Bride, and mm-hmm. was directed by Burton himself, as well as Mike Johnson, who had worked with Burton before on uh, James and the Giant Peach and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Not Elm Street. <laughs> Nightmare right. Before Elm Street. <laughs> that is it all blur. It, eventually it all blurs. Trust me. <laughs> it's just, what Dream haven't sequences. I seen in a nightmare? Yeah. Uh, it was produced by Leica Entertainment Studios and WB. Um, mm-hmm. And pretty much everyone I could find who worked on this movie had worked Has with Has worked Tim. on everything he's done. <laughs> worked with Tim Burton and also probably lived in his house. <laughs> It might explain why he seems to exist in another dimension. <laughs> like, he's got this yeah. weird sort of isolationism. Yeah, a little pocket dimension. Or like, he's, like, on the island of Lost, and there's, like, one pipe that connects him to the outside world, and all he gets is, like, skeletons on, yeah. a, on a daily shipment. And this <laughs> one's... Like, uh, better this, ship something like that back out. This one's even Burtonier than usual, because he produced it at the same time as he was producing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, so he that's... and he and Johnny Depp were just going back and forth, running on fumes, like they yeah, were living out of their respective cars. Like they would uh, film Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by day, and then do Corpse Bride by night. I wonder how it would have changed the movies if they if they flipped that, <laughs> that dynamic. If they only recorded Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at night, <laughs> shot Corpse Bride during the day, shot it. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, how was this animated? It's stop motion. And it was actually the first movie ever made with digital still photography cameras instead of film cameras, which mm. might explain why it looks like nothing you've ever seen before. Stop motion it, animation, for those who do not know, is basically uh, what you get when you read a flip book. Yes. Isn't technically, it? technically, that's a form of stop motion animation. That's kind of what it is. Like, you, you yeah. got a bunch of images, you put them in succession to create the illusion of movement, hence the stop motion. Technically, I, I'd call that Ben just a, an explanation of what film is. Oh, flip flipbook. 
Kind yeah, of. The, the, yeah, just, just a number of moving images. I mean, ju- just having that on... <laughs> I guess I'd call life that. <laughs> it's a juxtaposition of time instead of space. <laughs> Get out of here, you're... Ha- having Dwayne. it printed like that, that is the essence of film. But for stop animation, it's more of like, did they use figures for this? Because classic, when I think stop motion, I'm thinking classic claymation, where they literally have a figure that they are manipulating frame by frame, taking a photo of every single different movement everything to make it look fluid it is a very time consuming mm-hmm. uh endeavor oh and yeah it's imp- and it's impressive when you see it used for an entire feature film right like, like usually it's something that you'll see as an aspect of a larger usually um live action film but oh and these are this these aren't was, even this isn't even clay that you can shape. These are dolls. Yeah. By, These by are the way, dolls. I was I can, wondering about that. If I can get into the, the history behind the animation technique for a second. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, what stop motion animation generally does, or what it does better than CGI, is it has a lower cost and a unique appearance, which is kind of a staple of Burton's work. And it actually got a lot of popularity in the animation renaissance, which I have uh, categorized before when we were moving out of He-Man and into, you know, Hey Arnold and that shit. Right. Tiny Toon Adventures. Um, it turns out that claymation is actually a specific type of uh, stop-motion animation, mm-hmm. which okay. uses plasticine models. So the comparison there is because they are, in fact, cousins. Oh, right. We should mention that it's not just, like, a quirky animation. Like, it's also really, really good. Like, it says it's a staple of Burton's work. Right. And, in fact, um, one of the reasons that their, you know, their facial expressions are so, you know... There's so there's such a wide range. The care like the the models' heads actually have a bunch of gears in them. <laughs> Explain. Yeah. So these these little dolls have gears, and you rotate the gears, and they change their facial expression. Oh, uh, like when that one guy grins. Yeah. Or like tries to grin, and it like takes like thirty different muscles working independently in his face. Yeah, those are gears. <laughs> That's impressive, isn't it? And they actually, way. they actually made like 13 or 14 different dolls of the main few characters so that they could shoot more scenes at once, because this took forever. Did it? It took like 55 weeks and over like 100,000 still frames to put this movie together. Huh. That Yeah, that sounds like a lot. I don't really have a benchmark to like compare it to. I, I have never made a stop motion animator that... Uh, animation... Animate... Animation... 20, 24 feature. frames per second, Ben, is what a movie's at, so <laughs> it's no wonder that this was only 77 minutes. Mm, I can yeah. tell you what it's like. My roommate, Bill, who, of course, he he, he writes for Radiation Scarred Reviews, his project, and then The Blood Sprayer, of course, we've mentioned him before when Let's I was here last right time. He, uh, Plug him right into the side of your neck. Previously, maybe a year or so ago, um, he attempted some stop-motion with a Godzilla figurine that he has. He probably spent a good six hours working on about three or four seconds worth of film in the end. And that was just like, you know, just basically manipulating the figure, 
for every single frame just it, to make it look as fluid as possible. It, it is was just an experimenting. Intensely time consuming effort. It is. It is. I, uh, I imagine and, there's and, a learning curve that can, you know, get that maybe up to six or seven seconds per six hours of work. But <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be pretty rough to, to do oh, it yeah. like that. And it's it's one of the and it's one of the big high points of this film for me. Um it, it was a visually beautiful film. Yeah. So you like the animation? I really enjoy the animation, yep. Yeah, I think it's one of its strongest suits. Especially when Tim Burton's involved. I would say that Tim Burton consistently pushes the envelope, but it's always in the same direction. And it's always the same envelope. Right. I mean, it's got, like, fangs on it, like the Necronomicon for (laughs) UPS, but it's still the same envelope. Um, Speaking of Tim Burton, I feel like I must include this. I think think I've said it before on the podcast, but at MoMA, I actually went went to a visit, uh, uh, an exhibit, a Tim Burton exhibit, and it was all populated by, like, Tim Burton sketches and things like that. And it was exactly what you were saying, Dan Caves, about Gallo's humor. Just all <laughs> over the place. There would be, like, he started undressing her with his eyes. And, like, the eyes would pop out of the guy's head and, like, start ripping the clothes off this girl. And, you know, disgusting body proportions. And probably a dead dog somewhere in that scene. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's, you know when you're looking at Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of which, I have the Wikipedia page for this film open just now, and I've I've got a picture of Tim Burton looking at me right now, and it looks like something is about to rip off of his body and start like dancing around in whimsy. Like he <laughs> he 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 personally looks like something that he might animate for himself. So yeah, um, it's okay, Tim. Like you've got great. good friends. You've got good you friends who accompany you to literally everything you do. Uh, I want to touch on for a second that the all the score is written by danny elfman danny goddamn elfman i love that Mm. yeah i love that oingo boingus bastard (laughs) you see that he he was a guitarist for oingo boingo apparently yeah and uh he actually he actually sang in this movie did he yeah he voiced the mr bowden jangles mr bowden who the hell was that dancing skeleton man with the one eye there's like eight of them, aren't there? Oh, I remember him. Kind, now. kind of looks one. like Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I was thinking Alex from Clockwork Orange just because of the Kubrickian <laughs> shading on the one eye. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised because there are a lot of callbacks to <laughs> to the Ludovico <laughs> test. <laughs> this is a film of callbacks. I, I, I noticed a lot of references to things that. Uh, Maybe kids these days might not get, but people our age and older, we're going to really appreciate that. And there might have been an influence with that. This movie's I mean, also full of puns. Oh, yeah. Just the, uh, the gallows humor again. Everywhere. Beautiful puns. Beautiful, just blossoming in the savannah. Yeah. Like, uh. there's, like, you know, you ask the dead girl, like, why are you so blue? <laughs> but the dead also have like these great moments of irony like when somebody refers to the living as unnatural while scratching his broken open skull mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i like the way that the the dead in this movie are represented as alive and vivacious and humorous yeah which maybe we should talk about what exactly the movie is doing um, and I'd like to do that by briefly talking about the main characters in this story. Yes. I think we can hit tone and characters all in one go very briefly before we actually head off into the plot. Yes. Oh, yeah. Especially as a film, it's it's a character-driven sort of a story, so it's all going to kind of wrap up into that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and they all they all follow their own arcs, but we can just set them out at the beginning. We've got our main 
character, our protagonist, for lack of a better term, uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. It is pretty much Johnny Depp. (laughs) (laughs) Just the same thing. Uh, I I think he has a separate name in this. It's Victor Van Dort. Whatever. It's It's Johnny Depp. More like Victor Van Dork. (laughs) Kevin. Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Johnny Depp is a bit of a dreamer. He's... You know, uh, Victor's kinder and less fascinated with, like, high society and the rules than everybody else in the story, at least in his family. And I think his story is really about him learning not to fear death so much that he feels the need to follow all these rules. Or that fear he considers anything. just there. He has a general yeah. anxiety about him. But yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, but you you can't really have one theme without also including but think about it in context of death in this movie so <laughs> right. i just kind of looped those back into each other which um it was make when i was watching it i was thinking this is exactly what dan is talking about all the time because <laughs> in the our real monsters episode you had mentioned that the uh, the main aspect of horror is how we deal with death grappling with the inevitable man mm-hmm. yeah and i think his story arc is kind of about accepting that he you know, accepting that death is going to happen, um, or at least accepting that he doesn't have to live in fear in, death, in that capacity. Death is a lot easier to accept when you see what a party it is. Yeah, and how horrible <laughs> living is. Yeah, they have all these concerns about, like, money and prestige and ceremony, and the dead are just like, kick back a drink, let's listen to the band. Yeah, and 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 Johnny Depp is horrified by them. He's like, all these people having a good time and having the things I want. It's too unfamiliar. I can't That's accept it. That's not British. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't cricket. <laughs> not playing kosher snooker there. Yeah, so that's basically Victor. And uh, contrasting him, we have female Johnny Depp. Which one? Vic- Victoria, Victor's okay. <laughs> female counterpoint. I think uh, Victoria is this prim, proper, you know, young Victorian woman who... They're <laughs> Good all, try. No, they're Victorian. That's Stumble. Victorian England. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's set during the Victorian... walking past that sentence yeah, is all. Set during the Victorian <laughs> era, which, of course, highlights the sort of dour, gray weird life that the living are having. Let's get a yeah. nice Ed Munster groan real quick <laughs> and and she's set up as a contrast to her parents who are they don't care about love or you know happiness it's all about money and and uh prestige and she is like no i you know i want to marry for love i want to learn i want to learn how to play the piano but mother says it's too passionate <laughs> it's too passionate <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to fly off the handle like that <laughs> you get um, the sense that she's just been kind of she like kept in her room like a rapunzel oh. sort of figure she is absolutely just fairy tale nonsense bride through and through like and she's not happy about it yeah this is sort of what what i thought it was was basically what could have happened to victor if not for you know the ghostly intervent the ghostly intervention like we see that she's clearly always subject to the rules and whims of society that she frankly does not belong in i I like the um, the sort of the the relationship between Victor and Victoria because she has this sort of like oh you know I, I I've been set up all my life like when Prince Charming finally arrives it's gonna be wonderful and, and then he this, will and this little <laughs> like really awkward 
neurotic kind of stilts guy comes in. Yeah. Hugh Grant steps in. <laughs> essentially. Just comes in and like and they're both like, yeah, you know, we both were told this fairy tale. Let's try to make it work. <laughs> like Yeah. Nobody's um, really happy about it. Yeah, and it it gets inverted and subverted immediately in the beginning of the story, but uh, you know, her her story is more about uh what happens when you accept those impositions on your character from society victor's is more about breaking away from it unwillingly but yes granted (laughs) sometimes you need a push and uh dan how about the corpse bride well the corpse bride is of course helena bonham carter the stop motion version of which uh the official name of this woman is emily Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) she's so grateful by the end of it too (laughs) In death, she has found a free spirit within her. Uh, Her story is that at some point in her previous life, she was murdered by God knows who. (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) And she has been living in the afterlife, just kind of trying to find her way. Yeah, she she's definitely a counterpoint to Victoria. Yeah. Because it's basically the same character, except that one happens to be dead. (laughs) <laughs> true, and, true. Uh, although I, I think that emily is uh, emily has a lot more in common with victor yeah i think she, but i think um, that because she died i don't think she was that way before she died oh yeah and like i said because she's died she's had a taste of you know the big party that is our our afterlife in this victorian pub you say that, that like we're all dead in. and podcasting from beyond the grave <laughs> i wouldn't put it past us no <laughs> yeah podcasting but... in the hereafter <laughs> I would love a podcast <laughs> that's pretending to be set in the hereafter. If we wanted to be horrible, have an interview show with, um, you know, impressions of people who just died. <gasps> like, I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm Why? leaning towards it. <laughs> you always my, lean towards my improv tragedy. group. My improv group once had a show where we all, uh, it was a Halloween show, and we all dressed up as people who died that year. Damn it, you took Steve Irwin, too. Dude, oh, that's great. (laughs) It's great in a terrible way. So, the influence of Tim Burton on podcasting. (laughs) Right. This is what would happen. Um, Uh, But no, no, to get back to Emily, uh, she's a very good middle-of-the-road kind of a character. She she has seen both sides of the veil. Yeah. She no, she lived not too far uh like not too far in the past from when this film is vaguely supposed to have happened, you know, Victorian sort of society. Uh she was engaged to be married to someone. This ju- well, uh we eventually meet him and he whoa, is whoa, whoa. a spoilers. Well, I'm not even going to say anything more specific, but he Humpeting. is the ultimate Bastard, charming, <laughs> it's <humperding>. sociopathic <laughs> Victorian lord. It's Farquaad. Very. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same guy. I've He's seen got him like 80 chin. times. <laughs> yep. So, so really, chin. Emily has seen the virtue of death. What I think is interesting about. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And through our the audience's eyes, we're like, wow, everyone should fucking die. <laughs> we don't even really realize why exactly it's not all. It, it's cracked up to be until the end and i think mm-hmm. the last 
there's like a huge twist like right at the end that totally develops her character in a totally different direction yeah yeah but for right now she's pretty much victoria that has happened to find the joy in death and um yeah and and she also has parallels to victor except her anxiety manifests itself as this nagging self-doubt which actually turns out to be a maggot that lives in her brain (laughs) yeah (laughs) is that how maggots respond I They're just think so. self-doubt creatures. Yeah. Um, anyway, those are the main characters, but we should get started in on the plot. Yes. Uh, before we do, I should mention yeah. um, this whole plot is originally based on a Russian folktale. Oh, yeah? Um, most of the plot of the folktale is basically the same, except they're all Jewish. Um, and the rabbi, <laughs> the rabbi that they turn to for advice says that um, the dead have no claim upon the living, but the newlyweds tell the corpse bride that they will remember her story and her dreams. Fiddler beneath the roof. That's right. <laughs> beneath the basement. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, um, the scene opens up with a pan across Shitburg, which <laughs> Victor lives in. Yeah, this is a very jarring first scene. Yeah. Like, you're expecting to see some Bertonides. I guess, mm-hmm. like right at the get-go, but just the savage efficiency of this gray of this world, world is so depressing and unsettling. It's like, yeah, I know all of these things. It's a market. It's people out doing their jobs, being dour. Which, by the way, <laughs> thank you for introducing that word. It's going to get used a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. And, You're very welcome. And it's just, it's so gloomy, guys. It makes you feel like shit watching this first scene. <laughs> And we, we see Victor release a beautiful, colorful butterfly that he had captured into the air in a way that makes it really obvious it's going to serve as a running Here theme. are the themes. <laughs> this is a metaphor. Freedom it's flying beauty. away now. <laughs> yeah. This, the movie doesn't really bother with subtlety, and I don't think it needs it. No. I think it would have been doing a disservice if they tried to be subtle, especially with the time constraint. I mean, it's 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 a short film. If this were a two and a half hour film, like you'll see nowadays, they might have made time for subtlety. But this is a good. This was a good film to be straightforward. Don't waste our time. Tim Burton never really blockbusters it, does he? Like people who have want to watch a Tim Burton movie generally know what they're in for. There's no need to beat around the bush. That's true. You can introduce Freedom as a main character right away. Oh, Freedom's going away. Okay, maybe he'll come back later. I'm going to look for blue things from now on. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's just... This is is setting up the the eventual contrast between, you know, mirthless efficiency of life to to death's a party. Yes. Um, And we have a song, which I did not realize this was a musical. Yeah, that hit me out of the gate, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting it. Nightmare Before Christmas was a musical. I True. I never, never thought about it. Oh, pardon. Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank you. Nightmare Before Elm Street, uh, thank you very fucking much. <laughs> That's why you didn't realize it was a musical. The prepositions were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, animated films generally just have to have songs in them, it seems like. I think it. Imp- I, I think it's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's got a wide dynamic range it for different you, kinds of music. It gives you more chance to show off things that you don't need to pay attention to but are pretty. Yeah, like skeletons swapping heads. Yeah. <laughs> Good well, stuff. How are you going to fit that into a daily ritual? 
Yeah, but anyway, uh, Zane, this must have made you pretty happy because it's just how horrible mundane life is and finding the horror in, like, your own existence <laughs> rather than looking to the supernatural. I really So that like must it. have made you pretty happy. Yeah, um, and we find out through this song, uh, Victor is going to be married. And his yeah, parents he looks are... really gross at first, his parents... <laughs> I have to point out. His parents are very happy because they're going to become respectable through the marriage. So, like, they're new money and he... they're marrying into old money. Uh, mm-hmm. And Victoria's parents are upset because, you know, they, they need the money. They're bankrupt. Yeah, it's it's a mirroring song between the two circumstances. It's cute. Um, and it makes Victor yeah. look like like the most handsome, suave motherfucker there is <laughs> because everyone else is way grosser than him. Oh it's my God. disgusting. They, they did a great <laughs> job animating these morally bankrupt weirdos. Yeah. It's great. They're of Jimmy Neutron aesthetics. A lot of these characters have <laughs> stick arms and spaghetti legs. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the general rule is that the fatter or bigger a character is, the less we're supposed to like them. And the same yeah. r- same rule applies to the size of their chins. Yeah, ugliness is evil, yep. Zane. It's it's absolutely true in this. Again, just not not bothering with metaphor at all. It's just like these are the people you're not supposed to like. <laughs> Get used to not liking them. And I I like this um, you know schism between new money, old money which was a big yeah. deal in Victorian England, but it, it, it's not really the big, like, oh, my God, my daughter's marrying a what? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, <laughs> not, it's not the problem. Excellent enunciation. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and, and it only gets stronger over time as that, you know, new money, old money thing becomes less and less relevant. Mm-hmm. Becomes old money versus dead money. <laughs> oh, really old money. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it leads into Victor and Victoria meeting up at the house. It's very cute. It's not overstated. We already talked about it in the character section. They really hit it off, and neither of them are really meant for this world. Which is very obvious in the... <laughs> Poster and the trailer and the... <laughs> Something that actually struck me about the scene where the families meet and they're preparing for the wedding and everything is... Um... When they finally get together and the Van Dorts, the fishmonger Nouveau Riche, uh, arrive at the manor of Victoria's parents. The Everglots. Uh, the oh, parents, man. the parents Mrs. depart and leave their to-be-wed uh, children basically out of the deal. They, like mm-hmm. This is an interesting look at how marriage for most of history used to kind of just be a business deal between two families. Yeah, this really is fiddler underneath the roof. Isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, the, like the idea of marrying for love is a relatively recent, uh, is a relatively recent invention in society. And this sort of highlights the sort of emptiness of the previous concept of traditional marriage, which was oh, pretty much a, con- stage. a contract. Yeah, <laughs> but basically a contract between two families. The people who are actually getting married probably have very little do little to do uh, with the actual process. It's really weird watching Game of Thrones with, those, <laughs> with that in mind because, like, all of the young people are like, I want to marry for love, and all the old people are like, you... You assholes! You don't know what setting you're in. <laughs> you <laughs> haven't no clue. You haven't read the books, idiots. <laughs> you're gonna die. Um, why were you surprised by the red wedding? <laughs> yeah, why can't they just, uh, you know, do what we do nowadays and get married by computer? Mm? It's way more reasonable. Oh yeah, man. 
Yeah, and it's it's an old concept. Like we've seen forbidden love angle mm-hmm. between two families whom do not like each other umpteen thousand times before. Um, this, I mean, this is a nice twist on it in that the parents are for the wedding, but the circumstances are such that the audience is not attracted to these two people whom clearly like each other getting married. Like we don't want to see it happening. Like the dress rehearsal scene is so disarming. Yeah, it, at this point we're like best case scenario. They call the wedding off and then come to each other naturally later. Yeah. Which is kind of what much. happens. Sort of. <laughs> um, but what the way that they actually meet is Victor starts playing on the piano because he's awkward and he likes the piano. Um, yeah, because he's a dreamer and a free spirit. <laughs> and Victoria hears it and approaches him. Um, the song he's actually playing, I, I think it's supposed to resemble the Moonlight Sonata. It sounds kind of similar. That's really? how I kind of felt. Yeah, that, that when I was listening to it, I, 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 is it a uh, an original composition it, for this? Film? It is an original composition, but it right. definitely sounds a lot like it. It's calling upon late Beethoven, that entering the Romantic era, where really feeling and um, emotion really started to take hold in classical yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, during during the pianoing. Uh, they share kind of a moment, and then her mom comes in and, and yells at them. You're not being proper. <laughs> but they, they have this rehearsal wedding, and Victor is Which just is, so like, nervous. It's like a wake. Like, <laughs> this does not look like a wedding ceremony. Well, they're get, like a they're, funeral. They're getting yelled at by Christopher Lee the entire time. <laughs> how, 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 would you be able to keep your concentration? Perfect casting no. here. Can I just say? We should also mention that everything's in pretty much grayscale so far. Yeah, it, no it's, it's to build up the contrast for later. Yeah, and again with the contrast of life being death and death being life, it looks like they're at a funeral. Everybody who's not the newlyweds is on death's door, as far as I can tell. They all look like they're, yeah, they're all pallid. And, and yeah. the, the same nervousness that Victor has for death, he has for this ceremony. <laughs> yep. Um, um, he, he the does, ceremony does not go well. He sets fire to Victoria's mother's dress. We all knew it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Burton, you just can't keep your hands away from pyromania. <laughs> um, uh, what well, I'm wondering, how do they do the fire effect, given given this animation type? Is the fire CGI? Mm. Did they have, like, like how was that done? Because it looked like real fire. Did it? I, maybe they set fire to one of the models, man. <laughs> but, Ben, this is stop motion. That's not a feasible way of doing things. Sure it is. Shut up. <laughs> I, I actually have no idea. It didn't strike me that hard. You know, generally setting the mother of your wife on fire is not super, and the priest proudly proclaims, this vagabond doesn't know, have his intricate, ridiculous vows that are only applicable in this exact circumstance memorized. He clearly doesn't like weddings, and they banish him to the forest, I guess. He, he goes off to learn his vows so that he can do yep. it properly. Yeah, in a spooky forest. Yeah, he, 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 he goes to the spooky forest to brood. Yeah, pretty As much. the Victorian is wont to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They, that's Just really the backyard. only place they could do anything. Everybody's got one. <laughs> um, meanwhile, yeah. this Lord Barkus Bittern guy shows up for, for some reason. Yeah, you get the feeling like he's Mr. Green or Colonel Mustard or something. <laughs> like, you know he's going to be important. And you know he's an asshole, but that's yeah, kind of all. it's not clear how. Because he has a gigantic chin. <laughs> that's kind of all we get right now. He's the Prince Charming of this universe. <laughs> Except not, not really. He's not no, good he, at it. No, he's stereotypical Prince Charming in our time, which is just 
Prince Charming is not... Like, Prince Charming is no longer the viable marriage option. You always mm-hmm. want the artist or the musician. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's refreshing when Victor goes off to be by himself. Yeah, like, he, he kind of gets into it... Like, he, now that he's not near people, he really hits his stride. Mm-hmm. He gets really Starts... into into practicing his lines. He, he yeah. jumps around a, a lot. to Johnny Depp's early career doing some Shakespeare soliloquies. <laughs> some trees. He's like, oh, Miss Everglot, how are you doing today? You look lovely. He's talking like an owl. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the first time we see him in his element, um, which is our first tip off that he does not belong in the world of the living, which, lucky that, at that point, he unknowingly puts the ring on a... The, the corpse of it, a deceased dead person. It's a handle that looks like a stick, and it's coming out of the ground, and hey, guess what? It's a corpse. <laughs> Wearing a veil. Um, the corpse of a, of a beautiful woman in a wedding dress who says, I do, and then starts chasing Victor around the forest. Fucking sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that scene. It, it's a great twist on the slasher film kind of chase scene. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, they, they get this great, like... You know, every slasher film has a great one-liner. You know, like, here's Johnny, or like, Garbage Day. You know, something like that. Garbage Day? I looked up up slasher film one-liners, and I saw here's Johnny, and I, like, was looking for anything else, and that was the only one that's like... Safari Joe does it again. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Um, But here, it's the most loving thing you can say to someone, is like, I do, and it just freaks him out. Yeah, this is really great. He like it's it's been it's been it's been it's been shown <laughs> that he doesn't belong in normal society and that he should be taking every opportunity that comes away. He should be fiveling the fuck out of this corpse <laughs> right? Like opportunities come along and he should be like, "Yeah, I could bone down, yuck yuck yuck, poke someone on the ribs with his elbow." But instead, he's just like, "This is too alien for me to deal with." Like, I know that I hate my family, but at least I can, I'm familiar with them, which is kind of how people who do not get along in society react to new opportunity that might just be too scary to take that jump, to take yeah, that plunge. Absolutely. It's just fear of the unknown is really getting him here. He, he runs into the same tree twice, <laughs> which is just a brilliant joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, cluing us in that, yeah, he's like... <laughs> This is not a smart man. <laughs> he's okay. Um, he's an okay guy, but he's he's no Adonis. Yeah, but he's I, awkward. I, I I love this whole scene. It's I do, then chase scene, and then she follows it up with like you may kiss the bride, and then it's fade to black. Like that is a slasher line. It wouldn't have been out of place if she slashed his throat. Ooh. <laughs> after delivering after delivering those lines, that's a sarcastic murderer type of <laughs> thing to say. Reward. You, you got one of those later. Like, <laughs> she catches him. She has him pinned to the ground and says, <laughs> You may now kiss the bride. <laughs> and it, it could have gone any other way. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. good, good one, Zane. Thank yeah. you. I like I I actually now that I'm thinking back to it, yeah, that's a pretty good sort of send up of the slasher trope. Yeah, and you know it it, it resolves in the way that you think Burton is going to make it resolve, right. which is uh, Johnny Depp gets sucked into the underworld. <laughs> Precisely, right. it's nothing else can happen at that point. <laughs> nope. Uh, the the next scene is really nice though. Yeah, he he wakes up in this dive bar of the damned. 
and you are immediately flaunted by how like it's like the movie was like holding the biggest secret ever from like they were all hiding behind the couch like <laughs> counting to three like okay okay the audience is gonna come in in three two one metaphor <laughs> just hit you with everything is colored yeah everything it's a, it's a wizard of oz moment yeah they just reached emerald city it's very shock and awe in this in this muted sort of way you you think it's muted well, I mean, compare like it's not bright colors. No, but they're pretty the contrast dull. is already at infinity because sure. everything is. You go from grayscale to muted colors. It's you still know what's going on. Yeah, the ghouls and goblins are all having a a raucous time. Macabre Bob is you know like playing a <laughs> playing a dirge. It's it's a real. This is a this is a cool party, and it's such a refreshing moment from what has happened up till now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kind of wanted to hang out with them as I was watching it. Like, uh, I, I I wanted to have a chat with the. There was one of the corpses who was there. It was like a Prussian. The French, he had, like the spiked, <laughs> yeah, the French, he, he, he and had the, the German spiked helmet. <laughs> the the the, 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 the spike. He, he had the big spiked helmet, and he had a cannonball wound through his chest. <laughs> I want I wanted to talk to that guy. I I have to ask this, Dan. What is that fucking spiked helmet called? It's called a picklehaube. One more time. Picklehaube. Pickle ha- pickled halibut? Picklehaube. Man, that's, let, let there's me... no, I did not have that right the last time it came up in this podcast. Dan, <laughs> it's, it's come up in this podcast before. <laughs> and I'm very, I'm proud that you know the, the term for that. Yeah, well, you know <laughs> what? It, it, it literally means pointed bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> bonnet. Looks like you've got a bee in your... <laughs> Pickle <laughs> <laughs> does not have the same ring. Uh, I like I like Paul the headway tail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like that's the, a the severed head on a silver platter. Yes. Yeah. And Tim Burton is just like, hey, this is a pun with a body part. I hope you guys are cool with that. This is we one of a, eighty. We had a Napoleon stand-in named General Bones apart. <laughs> <laughs> You looked up the name? I didn't catch it. It's super good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, that looks like a great party. If the afterli- <laughs> if there's an afterlife and it's really like that, sign me up. I can't wait. Yeah, especially if they <laughs> jump into an awesome jazz song. Get it, boys. The setup for the song is... Victor is like demanding answers, uh, and Mr. Bone Jangles is like, "Oh, I can tell you all about this." Um, you can call me Scrawl. <laughs> yeah, it's like this crooning jazz. It's really nice. You know, Nightmare Before Christmas, I believe, did this as well with the Oogie Boogie Man. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's again adhering to a formula, but it's something about jazz in the underworld is just a really strong image. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you you have a lot of visual humor that you can do. You know, with like uh, trombone and yeah, xylophone on your own ribs. Although <laughs> that's not really jazz, but you know, yeah, the, the trombone is a little bit strong. I would like to point out that jazz. Uh, this is Victorian England. Jazz will not be invented for another hundred years. Uh, mm-hmm. not in the world of the living. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That means that jazz 
was invented by the dead before the living. Which means all those like great artists who were like, yeah, I sold my soul for my musical ability. Like that, that happened then. Taught me to play the guitar real good. <laughs> they made a deal with the devil. <laughs> those boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's you're you're blowing my mind. There there's a there's a it's, it's a rich history of like the the our grandparents were right. Jazz is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a rich history in in uh in culture of uh demonizing these newer forms of music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in exactly that way. Like Granddad doesn't understand the cool rock beats of uh, <laughs> you know, how about Johnny Be Good or whatever. It's it's something I've seen before. I can't quite contextualize it at the moment, but no, you know what? It's it's freer forms of music than what we're used to. It's it's grasping opportunity rather than shoving it away in favor of tradition. And it follows with the musical motif that that Dan mentioned earlier about switching into the romantic period. Now it's going mm-hmm. into jazz, so it's like even further than he felt comfortable. Like he he chafed against his rigid upbringing, but not this much. Yeah, it's a perfect uh, it's a perfect just a, a juxtaposition to the world of the living, which is so gray <laughs> and depressing to listen, mm-hmm. even just to listen to it. Yeah, with, with <laughs> this know? song, they completely they completely develop all the themes that you're going to be watching for. Like, yep. and it's ten minutes into the movie, pretty much, right? Pretty much. And they also use this to show off the animation style. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, it's it's beautiful, just moving the skeletons into those musical instruments you mentioned. Like, anytime I step back from the plot and think about how they actually had to set all this up, it's like mind-boggling. It does seem the more you go through the movie that the plot is just there to show everything else off. At least it seems that way to me. Like this seems very Shakespearean at times. Um, with both the circumstance, you know, the great expectations garbage. Uh, I know that was Dickens, don't worry. <laughs> and uh, and also just, like, the dialogue and the wit. But, you know, whenever I would read Shakespeare, I was like, the, the plot is too untenable to be believable. I can't get anything <laughs> that's directly out of the plot. It's just a vehicle to show you these other things. Yeah. It's a vehicle to show off the talent of the people who are putting it together. Tim Burton's resume. <laughs> it's a very simple, straightforward story, so... Yeah, like a couple twists and turns. One of them happening to be down the river sticks, but, you know, pretty much it, it adheres to formula in a lot of regards. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It does it in a cool way. So the song... In, in the song, he explains that Emily, the, the corpse bride that... Victor's now technically married to. Oh uh, yes, was once in love with someone, and they planned to elope. Uh, they were supposed again to be... with the great expectations. You know this fucker's gonna come back later in the movie. <laughs> they were gonna meet at the forest, but he didn't show up, and she was murdered for her jewelry. Um, mm. And you can really like look at the shadow. It's really obvious who this guy is. Is it? They're all pretty misshapen, man. That could have been anyone. That could have been Victor's dad, as far for all I could tell. It could have been anybody with a huge chin. Big Jay Leno. Yeah, it could have been Jay Leno, Ben. <laughs> who was who's that fucker yeah, who yeah. was the stagecoach guy? Oh, Mayhew? Uh, Mayhew, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, could have been, it could have been Mayhew. Okay, can I be honest? I love Mayhew. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have mutton chops and you love him. Just speaks to the quality of the character. I thought he did have mutton chops. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why then. <laughs> I think I would have known. <laughs> yeah, who am I to were, judge mutton chops? The mutton chops you? were very understated. I got to say that. Not no more. So after after this musical scene, you know, we kind of need a breather and to see that 
juxtaposition again, so it cuts back to the real world. It where... gives us time to process this new setting that we were just introduced yeah. to. And basically, Lord Barkus shows up and tells the parents, like, hey, I saw Victor on a bridge with a mystery woman. He's he's such a dick. I just <laughs> hate him. Like, he's so happy to be the bearer of bad news. He He's, like, just running up to them, grabbing them by the cufflinks, and just being dance puppets dance. Like, he just... <laughs> He just tells them exactly what to do. Like I said, this is the universe version. This universe's version of Prince Charming. He's bona fide, if you will. <laughs> He's clearly the pick. Bona fide. Um, and this is an interesting trope. You know, I think that's like one of the central things in this movie is that you don't favor the guy who looks good on paper. You favor the guy with passion. Hmm. And uh, it uh, kind of awoke this memory in me, which I wanted to share with you guys real quick. Okay. Ooh. It, yeah. There's this uh there's this one movie called Unlawful Entry in which this couple um meets this guy, meets this cop, and the cop develops this fixation on the couple and ha- like up to halfway through the movie, the couple starts having marital problems and the cop um is basically befriending the wife and the wife is like, "Oh, maybe this guy's better for me," you know, it's trying to play that trope straight, like he's the he's kind of the artist character. And then near the end of the movie, it's like, oops, he was a murderous stalker. <laughs> Probably not a good idea to, like, jump on the bandwagon that quick. Yeah. Really nice inversion at the end. I love I love it when whenever a work of media, like, admits that 90% of the time the smart move is the right move. Don't follow your dreams. <laughs> right. Uh, and as a side note to that, um, this, I couldn't remember the name of the movie. So trying to figure out what the movie was called involved me Googling stalking quite quite a bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you guys don't hear from me again, it's because I've been uh, Git mode. Nice. <laughs> yep. So um, sorry about that little side note. That is fine. <laughs> um, so in the movie. Yes. So uh, there's a chase scene. Yeah, we're like, back to. Uh, again. <laughs> yeah, Victor's running and trying to hide from Emily for the second time. But yeah, this... but this time you get a bunch of spooky puns. Yeah, you get to see the town he's in and meet the just gross characters that we we all knew were coming. Yeah, you got the spider <laughs> who lost the husband, her, her, I'm a widow. You got the secondhand shop. I love the secondhand shop. <laughs> the secondhand shop, what only showcases second hands and nothing else. Like, I feel like he, after he made Nightmare Before Christmas... He had a bunch of puns that he was just like, oh, this would have been perfect. <laughs> Why didn't I put this in? The bargain bin. Yeah. <laughs> this, wait a minute. This film is the Nightmare Before Christmas's B-side. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where they're just jamming. <laughs> and this is great. This, this great moment where she catches up to him and, like, gives him a wedding present. And it's his old dead dog. <laughs> this behavior that would be completely insane in the real world. Like, I got I got you something. I got this for you. <laughs> and his dog is named Scraps. Yeah, which works both in life and in death. It's mm. the perfect name. It's so good. It, it works really well in two ways, too. Because at first, it's like, this is still like the goofy ha-ha. He's so out of the element and everything around him is making him uncomfortable but then victor starts to perk up and it's like we get the first instance of victor getting used to the idea of being you know in in deadland in dead zone yeah 
I think this is the moment where Victor becomes the protagonist. Like, like mm-hmm. we're happy that he's in the movie now. Yeah, this is where, like, he is awakened to the possibility that he doesn't have to follow the life of a fishmonger. Like, this is his burning man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. This actually could have easily just been Victor wandering around tripping on acid, so you're right about that. <laughs> and then it gets into the town water supply. That's that's the logical extension of that. There's certainly enough there's certainly enough acid in the in, in, in Dead World. By the way, does that place have a name? Ah, um, I, I refer to it as Dead World. I don't think it does have a name. Like a town name, maybe? Necropolis. Yeah. Let's see if we can come up with a good name for it. Um, so I, uh, looking it up, it's actually just called Land of the Dead. Oh, that's boring. And then the other one is Land of the Living. You know what? There's a lot. Sometimes this movie loses its focus on that, you know, goofy dead, you know, dour life sort of sort of thing. And that would have been a really good time to showcase it. Yeah. Yeah, if they made like a really fun name out of the <laughs> out of the name of the town. Pleasant cheer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not awful. <laughs> By the way, have you guys seen Pleasantville? Uh, I think I saw ten minutes of it on a TV in a gym once. Okay, Th- thanks. <laughs> thanks for saying. <laughs> thanks for your memories. <laughs> well, I mean, I saw the important part of it. I'm really glad I have the context to when you were watching Pleasantville. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bullshit you. I've never seen Pleasantville. It's, it's good. Got the, it's got Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's got Tobes. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, it's got Tobes before Tobes, he... Tobes Maguire. <laughs> Tobes Magritz. It has that black and white and then uh, to color. Like, that's, it's the the same, part, that's the part I saw. It's the same theme as in Pleasantville is here, is that, you know, you start out following the rules and you're all in black and white, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, leave it to Beaver or something. And then when people start accepting their own humanity... Um, or like becoming violent or sexual or just like when they open pandora's box on whatever you know their own uh their own sinfulness is they start to get color it's also like the giver this Ah. happens a lot in in fiction Ah. yeah yeah we had out well i just got thinking i think it would have been funny at least Considering the time period that this is set in, mm-hmm. probably the mid to late 1800s, the age of nationalism in Europe, mm. what what if the land of the dead was actually like country? Violent, like violently nationalistic <laughs> and preparing to invade the land of the living Whoa. out of like spite or something? Oh my god. Like, I want to see that little... movie. <laughs> I do too, but not by Tim Burton. Every person they kill becomes one of their army. Like that Prussian, like that Prussian with the like hole in his chest, he's like dead Otto von Bismarck and he's like organizing the the underworld into a nation to then like invent that's, that's the it's, sequel it's, it's... <laughs> I, I don't want that by I want that by like Werner Herzog or something I don't want it by I don't want it by Tim Burton yeah so we have the corpse bride and the sequel will be the corpse widow Ooh. <laughs> the dark corpse war widow the spirit yeah. bride yeah. Anyway, um, um, so Victor, moving back to the plot. Yes, Victor tries to trick Emily into leading him to the living world by saying, "Like, oh, you have to meet my parents. They live upstairs." He doesn't try to. He succeeds. Emily's a dumb blonde. That's true. Like in every way, shape, or form. Like she, ex- she's got this. Uh, she's got this thing about her where she is accepting of the death part. She likes 
she her life is kind of silly um mm. but she has she still has this very strong attachment to uh what one would consider in the context of this movie kind of a, a weakness of life like she still wants to get married you know yeah she, she's still very sad about how the last thing turned out. She is maintaining. She's, still she's maintaining this sort of, you know, Disney princess mentality in spite of everything she's gone through. Yeah, which, man, kudos. Fiona couldn't handle that. <laughs> she just straight died halfway through Shrek. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um. So they go to Elder Gutnecht uh, to ask permission. Professor Dumbledore. Well, Gutknecht is German for good servant. Um, Gutknecht. 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 Nice. Um, yep. But I, I think this was... I'm not sure how intentional or significant this is, um, hmm. but Knecht is etymologically similar to knight, um, like like fighting knight, which is a hmm. homophone of knight like Dark Knight, which I realize now is the title <laughs> of a movie that's spelled the other way. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly during the sentence in which you were saying it. <laughs> I, I don't know the importance of this, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the most important thing behind the German uh, source, of, the source of his name is he's a pretty benevolent ruler of the land of the dead. So he's a very good servant of the corpses that are under mm. his uh, mm. under his control. Yeah, he's not evil. You know, he's just... Yeah, a steward. He's voiced by Alfred Pennyworth from the original Tim Burton Batman films. It yeah. has to be a nice guy. It's super good, too. I love that yeah. voice. Yeah. It's so soothing. It's, it's so soothing and just grandfatherly. Uh. There's a fun moment where he opens up a drawer and just, just way too many crows fly out. <laughs> like, there's a lot of good moments with Elder Goodknecht that just are kind of... They're, they're not overt jokes, but they're, like, it's clear that they're there, but they don't draw attention to them. Do, uh, is German humor a little bit more morbid than than American? Because I know Russian is. It can be, yeah. I was wondering if there yeah. was any, like, cultural resonance there. Because Victorian England didn't really the Germans death that far, are, as I recall. The Germans are known for their sense of humor, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of. It's it's weird. It's hard for me to describe German humor. Uh, it sort of runs the gamut. Why there don't you give are, us a try? There are a lot of puns within the language. Really? There is a lot of absurdity that I've noticed. Um, <laughs> and especially okay. more recently, um, they are comfortable with sort of making a complete ass of the concept of being racist, which can be funny, very, very funny if you really get it. Like, um, but it's, it's, it's hard to really put it into words. I don't have enough experience with proper, serious German humor. It's starting to sound um, like Ren and Stimpy a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of irony that they work through. Uh, I'm um, always a big fan of that. It, it, it's hard to get like ha ha funny out of the Germans, but they're a they're a land of poets. They're a land of writers. They're a land of um, just the dead. ironic dark <laughs> dark ironies. Yeah, Ooh, that's the, a good the, name for a town name. <laughs> yeah, I know. Very evocative and appropriate. But yeah, they they succeed in you know magicking them up self onto the living side, and the butterfly and, shows up again. Yeah, 
representing, in case you forgot, representing the freedom themes. or love or something. Yep, so, some something something. Marriage is beautiful. <laughs> um, and John, Johnny Depp, classic Johnny Depp, just abuses the woman he's with. <laughs> just like walks out on her, immediately goes back to Victoria. Yeah. Um, he, he and a comedy of errors ensues when, when, uh, when he gets there. Yeah. But mercifully short, because the corpse bride bursts through the window while he's trying to explain to Victoria what's going on, and they both exclaim, "Who is she?" And he is. Th- this one has almost. This, there's no build up to this comedy of errors. <laughs> um, it's just like, oh, is he going to try to play it off? And he's just like, "No, I married her mistake by mistake, and she's dead." Like he's very callous <laughs> to Emily at this well, point. Well, he's declaring his love for Victoria, and like. Like, you need to burn a bridge to build this one. Yeah, he's like, okay, time to jump. <laughs> There's no way to go but down here. He manages to get both women mad at him. <laughs> and she just grabs him and hopscotches back to Dead World. I don't know if Victoria's mad so much as just perplexed by the dead coming back to life. She's like, this is not a thing a that people know day. can happen in this movie. Right, I assume it's a new... People would have said something. Yeah, they probably would have named their town differently because it's so similar to the other towns. <laughs> I don't think that's the actual name of the town. Copyright. Yeah, Emily is mostly the, definitely the most pissed off at this development. Well, yeah. it's happened to her before. Yeah, this oh, is, yeah. she is reasonably upset, but he is, re- like, everyone's nice and reasonable. Yeah, these are all good characters. Like, they're all moral characters. Victor's kind of being a prick, but... He didn't have a lot of choices. Victor was circumstance. If you think about it, he just <laughs> he just got abducted by the dead and barely <laughs> got back to the living world. He's like, I really gotta patch things up lest anything happen to me. Yeah, he had kind of a night in Vegas kind of situation. Like, <laughs> I, was I can't out, believe I did. That. I was out in the woods. I put a ring on a branch. I or it was a hand. I thought it was a branch. I went. There were there was some bar. There was some singing. A little dancing. I saw my dog. I'm back. I'm sorry. <laughs> what happens in Hades stays in Hades. <laughs> I had some shots. I put a ring, a ring on a branch. Next thing you know, married the world dead broad. <laughs> oh, man. Um, um, yeah. And, and, and she's upset. Emily's very upset. But... She, go, she runs off to have a pity party with a spider and her maggot. <laughs> yeah, leading into another a pretty good song. Mm-hmm. What does that wispy little brat have that you don't have double? She can't hold a candle to the beauty of your smile. How about a pulse? Overrated by a mile. Overblown. If he only knew the you that we know. Sort of a Cinderella thing. Um, and it is, again, underlining the theme of convention is unimportant because the maggot and the spider are all telling her. She, Emily's all like... You know, she's she's the better pick for Victor anyway because she can she she her heart is beating and she can draw breath. And noting these things which are just biological necessities rather than actually personality <laughs> positive traits. If I touch a burning candle, I can feel the pain. If you cut me with a knife, it's still the same. It's just showing how weird it is that we place such an importance on something as, uh, I don't know, 
It's, it's weird. It becomes weirder that we place importance on life. When when you think about it, you know, people always say like, "Oh, I want to marry for love," or you know, "I want to marry someone like this or that." <laughs> when you look at the statistics, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the human race is already closed off by geography. You're just <laughs> never gonna meet them. Wait, by geography, you mean most of them are in the land of the dead? (laughs) That's right. I guess that might be chronology. Um, But 100% are separated by the fact that they're alive if (laughs) if you're dead. Yeah, people who are, like, planning their dream wedding really do not have their priorities in order. No. Number one, must be alive. (laughs) They do that when they're having kids. They're like, I just want the kid to be healthy. But this is Victorian England. There's no guarantee that your kid is going to be healthy. That's true. Like, you really got to <laughs> really knock three point. times when you're wondering about your future kid. You got you, you got to be flexible. This seems like a horrible thing to ask. Were there any dead babies in this movie? Th- there were skeletal children. Yeah? Oh, right. That's right. They probably died of dropsy or something. The, something that people in Victorian times died of. I Consumption? Mean, I don't know. <laughs> Consumption. Um, Measles? I, <clears throat> I like... I like I like the image of the Black Widow spider telling Emily like, "Mm, you got to get your pulse back (laughs) again." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought this was. I actually thought that this might turn into Corpse Bride coming back to life at one point. I wasn't sure about how supernatural they were going to get, but the song just as it progresses, it makes Victor seem more and more superficial in a really weird way. Like the audience is starting to accept the premise that death does not matter, which maybe we should discuss that briefly like what's the point of death if everything continues as normal except you you're blue now either it's the best kept secret in the world or it's just this is a new development well if you're gonna keep a secret behind a barrier death is not a bad one when when a character spoiler alert dies later it's like instantaneous blue like yeah yeah he he, he he's still standing and he, he turns <laughs> basically his skin just turns blue you're yeah. telling me that's all that we in, know that in this universe <laughs> until this point nobody ever died in front of somebody else like he coughs he yeah. grips his chest and then he's blue yeah he's not uh, inanimate yeah. ever this, this has to be a new development probably related to jazz from fresh prince bel-air <laughs> that's correct so meanwhile back in the living victoria is dismissed as crazy and locked in her room but yep. she naturally she escapes to find the priest. She's like, he'll he'll figure this out. He, she, she's asking him like, hey, one is, of those assholes from earlier in the movie. She's, she's asking him like, is Victor's marriage to the corpse bride kosher? Yeah, she asks about Victor's marriage. <laughs> Did <laughs> that like, weird you guys out at all? Listen, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> if my husband to be married a dead woman, does that count? <laughs> <laughs> and he just immediately turns her in, which priorities, is fine. Priorities, priorities. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I guess it speaks to the the propriety with which Victoria is concerned. Like she's mm-hmm. still part of her. She's still part of the old money. She's still part of the living. She's not concerned with Victor being, and you know, visited by the land of the dead or the fact that the dead walk among us. She's like. This is going to reflect poorly on my social status. <laughs> we need to get this cleared up. Plus, Father Christopher Lee is not going to put up on any of that bullshit. <laughs> no, he, just like... he, he was roused from bed to answer this question. You don't does wake does he have a cute up. little nightcap, too? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think to check. <laughs> He's just like, yes. this is very serious, my child. Here you go. Turns it right into the parents. 
Right? I, I can't get over how over-concerned with, she, with convention she is yes. at this point. It's it, Well, I mean, you know, she has this sort of romantic streak about her, but I, it's been beaten into her every day. Like, you need to be prim and proper mm. forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were having, like, a flashback to earlier in the movie when uh, Victor was running away from the corpse bride. So, Lord Dickbag uh, gives <laughs> em- gives um, Victoria's parents the idea to make him the groom instead. And apparently he's going to murder Victoria. Evil, evil, evil. He, yeah, he insinuates that he killed Emily. He's clearly going to kill Victoria. Villain in a Shakespeare play. Jafar cackles to himself madly. <laughs> he, he's just he's just embezzling the dowry, pretty much. No dowry. <laughs> he's just every villain. <laughs> There's just no substance to this villain at all. He yeah. fulfills a role, and that's it. Yeah, he's so dumb. <laughs> evil, name, evil, evil. His name is Bitter. <laughs> Bitter Barker. Lord Barkus Bitter. You know that he's got like internal jowls, right? His jowls are contained within his outer chin. His, J- <laughs> his, his gigantic Jay Leno protuberance. You know you're in trouble when your chin has segments, like sections and quadrants that you have to like discriminate between. <laughs> anyway, there's not much to say about him. No. Like, yeah. He, he's your standard con artist. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The pace at which yeah. marriages are arranged are it, it, marriages are arranged is another thing that I thought was kind of Shakespearean in frequency. Don't want to waste a cake. <laughs> yeah, that's the line yeah. from the movie. <laughs> that yeah, that that was the justification. <laughs> it was one of the justifications. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back in the underworld film, probably not that one, but back in delicious movie man, <laughs> battle for the lichens. Um, yeah, back in back in the best bar we'll never go to. Uh, there's a cute piano sequence between Emily and uh, Victor, whom, if you forgot from all the bullshitting we were just doing now, Victor's in the doghouse, uh, <laughs> yeah. the dead doghouse. He's and borrowing it from scraps. Big ol' fight between the two. But they, they, they reconcile using this piano, and then they hold hands and smile, and it's like, I don't know how I feel about this love triangle betrayal, anymore. The betrayal at the altar is entirely erased. <laughs> <laughs> Completely forgives it. I mean, she... It's she, a little shallow. She can't be choosy at this point. She is literally dead. Yeah, that's true. And it says something about Victor that he's come to terms with possibly, you know, falling in love with his corpse. Like, he's... Right. This is another... This is another graduation in his apotheosis of not taking life as seriously and becoming more familiar with uh, the, the aspect of death. Yeah. Um, so, it, it's, it's nice and cute. Uh, I... It felt a little bit forced, though. I I kind of agree. Yeah, it, it's like you are alive. I am dead. I love someone else, but you're good at piano. Yeah, maybe my poetic <laughs> soul can soothe this savage beast. This this also plays into Tim Burton's uh, you know recurring theme of making the audience feel okay with things that are normally horrifying. Yeah, like he 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 drops these like yeah he drops these Reese's pieces in between all the all the bad things that happen. I mean, again, this is like an aesthetic that appeals to kids. I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry a, a dead body and have, you know, two point three dead children and <laughs> half dead children. One point one five. How would 
how would a half-dead child work? <laughs> a lot easier than a live one. I agree that that would work that way in the context of this movie scene. <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out which half. <laughs> the bones, or is it just like a recessive uh... gene? <laughs> like You got a quarter chance of being dead when you come out. <laughs> Speaking of things that usually make us feel horrified, <laughs> right at right after the piano sequence mm. where uh, Victor and Emily sort of start to feel for each other, Victor's family's chauffeur, coachman, yeah, chauffeur, you, pretty yeah. much, Piss boy. up and die. He up and dies. Yeah, he's a new arrival. Yeah. I I actually had to rewind for a moment and say he just depicted that. Like, <laughs> like that dude just that. had a heart attack. <laughs> He had a heart attack, fell under his horse and carriage, and the, he had the, the consumption parents, as well. It just shows up in the next scene. Good as new. Victor's parents are completely oblivious to the fact that their coachman just died. More than that, it's so cruel yeah. that Mayhew's character is demoted to like <laughs> the worst singing telegram you can imagine. <laughs> like, his death serves only to deliver information to Victor, and then he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine having your life just distilled into one act like that. <laughs> hey, Hugh, this is the meaning of your death. <laughs> it was as meaningful as your life. Enjoy how little we've given he, you. He seems chill. He's like, yeah, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> it was always going to happen. Look at these mutton chops. I was second tier. <laughs> you seemed very happy to be in that bar. Oh, yeah. May- Who wouldn't? May- Mayhew, the coachman, he was very happy. He was as happy as I would probably be. <laughs> Um, we can all finally look forward to death more and more as this movie progresses. <laughs> yeah. Sweet release. Yeah, you know, you think about these, uh, like, people are like, yeah, if the kids watch Superman, they're going to try and fly. Like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is not good for the kids. It's probably, yeah. <laughs> if a child watches this film, he's going to spend 40 years chauffeuring around the Nouveau Riche until he eventually has a heart attack and is completely forgotten. <laughs> That's why kids shouldn't play video games. Um, but, but Mayhew tells Victor that Victoria is to be married, but he's too late to do anything. Yeah, mm. you fucked it up the first time, man. And you're kind of hitting on the dead one now. Like, right. Make up your mind. But uh, it's an appropriately short wedding up top, considering how little we care about the up top world at this point. We kind of don't want to watch it. It's very much a blunderbuss wedding. Yes. <laughs> Get on the blunderbuss. <laughs> yes. Dan, you are now an honorary member of the Carton cast. <laughs> oh, you got so your purple proud. stripe. <laughs> it takes two shows uh, and one good pun. That's <laughs> You're in. Um, yeah, uh, please please let me um, you know, uh, stamp out your rewards card and yeah. <laughs> Oh man. It's good for one Carton pick. Yeah, or you can just buy a carton of eggs. <laughs> Either or. Um, but before before the wedding, there's actually a scene where Elder Gutknecht uh, comes. <laughs> I'm just botching that. Gutknecht. <laughs> say whatever you feel. Father like. Father Mort um, comes in <laughs> and tells Emily that their marriage is not binding because it's only till death do you part, which seems really obvious in retrospect. It's also like a thing that up top they would be concerned about yeah it's weird it's weird that the underworld is as concerned with marriage like Mm. i thought that was the big schism between the living and the dead is that they don't take they take shit seriously it might only be emily taking it seriously because like it was so caught up in why she died 
But no, because Do- Father Zangief also treats it seriously. That's true. Um, but they're, they're like, well, the obvious solution to this is to just kill Victor. Just murder him. <laughs> then he'll Murder the main character. I love that it starts out as a murder plot. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Between ni- the nicest characters in the movie. Like, they got to the murder plot first. <laughs> Barkus must be so butthurt about that. <laughs> But she's like, oh, no, I could never ask him to die. But he's listening, and he's like, okay, he's yeah, way that's, into that's it. a great idea. Oh, this would solve everything. But they have to go upstairs for it. Because reason. they're out of candles, I guess? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's, like, and, no reason that they gotta go upstairs for this. And this is this is when we get to the wedding between Victoria and Barkus because they just storm the wedding. We've decided to do this thing properly. So grab what you can and follow us. We're moving this wedding party upstairs. Upstairs? I didn't know we had an upstairs. Sounds creepy. Let's go! Hold on, Victor. You can't get married looking like that. The dead invade. The dead invade the world of the living. NVD. There's this great pun line where Papa Everglot says, um, Oh, my grandfather Everglot would be spinning in his grave. And then the grandfather Everglot comes in and says, Where do we keep the spirits? <laughs> like he's telling the world's best popsicle stick joke. <laughs> it's it's also really nice the way they pace that big reveal to the entire world of the living that the dead have invaded. Like it's all building up to it really, really nicely, and then bam, pun, everyone freaks out. Like, it's well punctuated, I thought. It's really good. The acceptance of you know the reunion of the living with the dead, because what happens is that. Everyone freaks out, and there's pitchforks and garbage. And then some some old guy's like, hey, there's my nephew uh, Bertrand or something. Yeah, nobody and, ever moved away from this town. No, I mean, uh, great expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's it, this happens a little bit too sudden for me. The acceptance of all yeah. the dead coming back to life by the by their loved ones. It's, they're so on board with it, you think like everyone's just going to be like, Oh, cool! And they commit suicide and live forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's just it's just because it it clashes with the theme that we've been working with up until this point, which is that people need time to get used to the idea of death. But they just all immediately jump on board just <laughs> as soon as they remember. Oh, yeah, I have loved ones who died. It's probably fine. <laughs> to the point at which I'm thinking maybe this is all our world needs to accept death. It's just to have a life after death. Man, I feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good one, Ben. If, on, if only there were some establishment that could convince. I'm gonna go us take a shower. Happened. You guys continue. That was that was pretty stupid. Ben just came out in favor of religion, guys. Oh, jeez. I have a feeling that uh, the only reason why they're so ready to accept it is the fact that death is a party. That's true. All, all of these corpses, all these shambling, decomposed, it seems like they're decomposed in proportion to the amount of time they've been dead. Which makes sense, because maybe I thought it reflected is, yeah. their personalities. Which freaks, which freaks me out to think that <sighs> when you're in the big party downstairs, you're still rotting. I like that as a euphemism <laughs> for death, though. True. The big party downstairs. 
Like it's a basement. Yeah, it's just your dad's basement. You got all your Led Zeppelin posters down there. Have you ever got? Have you ever heard of a um, Heaven and Hell party? No. You, like it's a. It's like is it a, like a Santas and Zombies party? You're gonna have to explain that one in a second. <laughs> um, no, I'm sure it's, it's, it sounds like it's the same thing actually. Um, everybody starts in the basement and then they can earn points like by playing beer pong or like drinking something. And then oh, you go up so to the, the frat boys get up to heaven. And then, Great. <laughs> and then you go to uh, purgatory, which is like the kitchen. And then you go up to heaven, where like all the nice liquor is kept, which is like upstairs. And everybody ah. has disrobed. You must leave your worldly possessions behind, especially <laughs> the bras, because I am terrible at taking those off. Take off your pants. <laughs> Take off your pants and meet me in heaven. <laughs> what is yeah. a Santa zombie? Is that the same thing? It sounds like the same thing. Now that I'm dissecting it a little bit, <laughs> What's but the no, it's part? it's it's a it's a, it's a bar run I did in Boston one time, um, like seven bars, and there's like one zombie that starts out, and everybody else is a Santa. Um, <laughs> it's like that other thing, like Why so, zombies and ninjas or something like that. Uh-huh. I, I don't know, man, but because uh, <laughs> because it's easy to find a bunch of Santa hats during that time of the year. Santa. Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, you might have to. You might have to do the rest of this show by yourself. <laughs> Zane and I are spent. We're gonna leave now. Just, just lock up when you're done. <laughs> ben, give him the egg key. Give him the egg <laughs> key. Uh, uh, just a regular key inside of an egg. The, the they all um, the dead go to the church, like to yes. for the for the wedding between Victor oh. and Emily. And the, the best line uh, in the movie. The priest tries to send them back down to hell. <laughs> the dramatic music of the dead are all rising, and like they're all like, con- they're all going toward the church, and uh, he's like trying to shoot them away with like holy water and back beasts. And one of them like lays a hand, bony hand, on his shoulder, and it's just like, "Can you keep it down? We're in a church." <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, like. I love that, like, his, his, you know, the power compels you, like, doesn't work. Because, you know, it's this idea of religion as a construct uh, to help us with our fear of death. Well, now yeah. that no one's afraid of death, that stuff doesn't hold any power over them. Oh, I took it in a different way. I was thinking, like, just the living have no fucking clue how the dead interact. Mm. So, you know, their, their, their home remedies are completely unfounded and, like, not based <laughs> on dead death science. <laughs> like they you just make, don't understand that these things don't work because they've never encountered like you make it sound like the cure for the hiccups <laughs> death is you know life is just a case of the hiccups you know just ends one day and uh everything else maintains the exact same way so they start the wedding and victoria victoria is watching them and when emily sees her she she has this change of heart and calls off the whole thing Yes, yeah, she says, she's, she's says, like about correct. to drink like uh, drink poison, pomegranate juice. Yeah. So what was happening here? Victor was prepared to kill himself with poison in order to officially marry the dead Emily. But then Emily, upon seeing Victoria, realizes that she is being selfish in expecting Victor to you know drop down to the underworld. Yeah, she's always way. viewed death as a freedom, sort of. He, he, she realizes that imposing this death on somebody else is denying them their freedom. Yeah, she says, my, my, my dreams were taken from me, and now I've taken them from someone else. Yeah, this is a really nice 
re- resolution of her of her character arc. And actually. and Victoria's like, hmm, I still want to get married to this guy who's willing to die for some other woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, passion before a practicality, right? So we we come to this climax where everyone's happy except for Barkus. Um, because he finds out that the Everglots are broke, and that's really something he should have checked before he started this plan. The best part of that is that his new plan isn't well. No reason <laughs> to no stay reason married. To pers- no reason to stay married and or continue interacting with anybody else in the plot. <laughs> it is kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, it immediately just devolves into maybe I should just murder the protagonist. <laughs> Like, what a dumb villain he is. <laughs> He's so storybook. Uh, did, what did you think about that, Dan? Like, his just uh, departure from character and adherence to formula there. Expected. Yeah? You thought he was just going to freak out and want to murder the protagonist? Yeah, yeah. Considering he's a completely morally bankrupt con artist, the moment that he realized that this entire con has been a complete waste. He's basically going to do the equivalent of shooting the clerk. Double down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to win yeah. somehow. Maybe I can earn some brownie points with Satan by just yeah. murdering a protagonist. Yep. He's just decided he, he's gone over the moral event horizon. You know? He, <laughs> I'm, I'm not certain he was ever quite beyond the moral event horizon, but it well, certainly comes out here. Well, I mean, he, he he was dedicated to the con up until this point, mm-hmm. and then upon <laughs> encountering this, uh, he draws sword and begins to fight with Victor. Yeah. yeah. And, and fights back with a big fork. for big a fork. climactic <laughs> sword fight. A fork versus sword Which was duel. not heralded in any way, <laughs> right. nor is it necessary for I, any I, reason. I do appreciate that Victor just has no skill with it. As do I. As much as I appreciate that he's fighting with, like, one of them <laughs> chicken forks. Um, like, to hold the turkey breast in place. And oh, yeah. it's great because, like, Barkus is about to stab Victor, and Emily takes the stabbing, which does nothing. And she calls him out as her murderer. Well, yeah... Obviously, like there was one murdered person and one murderer in the story, <laughs> and it's written by Do- and it's written by Charles Dickens. So, well, like, it, it took of course her a it's while gonna to happen. figure it out. And so, I guess so. now, <laughs> completely defeated, um, nothing left. His entire plan is in a shambles. He's Bar- going down the evil, evil Bar- antagonist like list. Yeah, and he's like, okay, I've lost the climactic <laughs> sword fight. It's time to gloat. Yeah, and then book an escape. Barkus, ass lord that he is, <laughs> makes fun of Emily for being dead <laughs> and takes a swig of poison wine on the way out. You think Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> it's very nice. And when he uh... takes that drink of poison, yeah, this is the point in which he just sort of turns, coughs for a couple of seconds, and suddenly <laughs> now he's blue. blue. Yep, and <laughs> nothing else has changed. <laughs> nothing! And now the important thing... Everything's the same! Now the important thing with that is that the all of the dead people there wanted to really fuck him up. <gasps> this is the and, best. But, but they legally, by the laws of nature, can't because they cannot intercede in the land of the living. Yeah. But the moment that he dies, <laughs> they, le- they, they just jump on him. There is a lot they, to say here. 
Yeah. Like, Elder Skell yeah. says, wait, we must abide by their rules. We are amongst the living. And it's just right like after this invading. Right after well, invading. Little, yeah. First of all, inconsistence, Elder, whatever the hell. <laughs> elder Death. Grandpa, Grandpa Death. The Skeleton Lord. Good connect. The Skeleton Lord, Skeletor. Um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit inconsistent there, but also it's like this little hint into how oh, yeah. the dead and living interact in this universe, in which the dead have like rules and treaties on this shit, and the living have no clue what's going on. Yeah, they're just like, are, I guess we're supposed to bury them like in the ground in a box. Yeah, holy water might calm them down. Whoop, get that? Guess that one's not true. Like, there's this weird inter-existence politics going on that doesn't get much story and i wanted more of it <laughs> it it'll be in the sequel there should have been more lore like this like in the in the continuity it, it had to be a short it bare bones kind of thing just because i of, suppose just because of, and, and we haven't mentioned this in a while beautiful animation <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. You I, can't say that enough. You can't say that enough about this film. Yeah, you can just assume it, like, from, yeah. from the entirety that we've been talking, that we've just been praising the animation yeah. like crazy. I, I especially like when uh, Lord Fuckbottom just kind of keels over and, like, does, like, this Igor or Dr. Hyde or something, like, just, and, yeah. like, <laughs> peers over his shoulder with, like, this grimace. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Like, he doesn't actually groan. He does everything but... I wonder what happens in the mind of a dying person in this universe when they realize what's going on. And then when they pop back <laughs> into consciousness as a blue dude. <laughs> and then when they realize that everyone still wants to fuck him up. Yeah, so this is this is the great, uh, you know, happy ending we've been waiting for where he's carried off by a legion of undead to be tortured forever. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. villain gets carried off by the ranks of the damned. <laughs> Like, how much how much more catharsis can would you possibly need? Well, I'll give you a little bit more. Because Emily gives back the ring, which they should really wash by this point. <laughs> <laughs> and she disintegrates into you guessed it, butterfly. I did not fucking expect to see her ascend into heaven. <laughs> did anyone see that coming? No. What kind of life are the rest of the land of the dead living? Yeah. What the, are they all like, waiting on? Like somebody they all. didn't finish haunting as well. Like, like this is just the ho- like the land of the dead is just the hotel, and their day job is to haunt until they're happy. Yeah. Well, it's like this purgatory is, or something. I are mean, they in purgatory? This is classic. You know, ghost with uh, a, a regret that they have not yet fulfilled that they need to be able to pass on. That combined with like this interexistence politics, it, there's just so much to this world that gets built up right at the finish line. I can use it to like backsplain everything, but I don't want to. I wish I had this a little bit earlier. <laughs> it's it's just I I feel like there's just a little bit too much right at the end. It would have been a longer film if they tried to stretch the information out. I'm not like sure that. it would have been. Really? Yeah, you could have had the messenger of Beth Mayhew like go to uh, go to the grave without ever having kissed a girl, and then the chef, the the ghost chef, Max on him because ooh, what a hunk, and he ascends to heaven. Hmm. Established. Now it's in our minds. 
oh, the corpse bride hasn't moved on yet. What's holding her back? Could be that she wants to find a husband. Could be that she needs to get vengeance on, you know, the only villain in the movie. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. That would have been an elegant way to do it. Yeah, I it just it just felt cluttered at the end. The pacing was good through the climax. Yeah. Um, and a little bit long in the middle and a little bit short at the end. Like, it just the denouement was a little bit too... It was a little bit too bottom-heavy or front-heavy or back-heavy. I, I don't know how the, the metaphor there works. <laughs> it was uneven. Yeah, unbalanced. I don't know. Did, did that did it strike you at all like that? The last half an hour was definitely, yeah, very dense. And you want a climax to be, like, a little bit more fast-paced. It, yeah. And I don't have the problem with most of it. It's just the very end. I actually liked it, though. I thought it was because I felt like they were going out of their way not to waste my time. Yeah, and I like that she gets a happy ending as well. But it just yeah. it gives me all these questions which could have been in my mind earlier. And that's kind of what I'll, I want during a movie. I almost kind of wish that they didn't give us a happy ending. Yeah, I mean, Tim Burton kind of does bittersweet more than either bitter or sweet. So I think it was, yeah. I think it was appropriate. I, I do, in terms of the pacing, I do like that, you know, the the parts that were long, that took a while, were, the, you know, the songs and the feelings and the emotions and character relationships, and the, you know, drama lives on conflict, and the conflict was between characters who we were all, who we, we were rooting for all of them, yeah. and then only at the end, only at the very, like, last ten minutes was it us versus him. Yeah, the only person we didn't like in this movie was, like, Mr. Stimpleton, basically. Well, and, and her parents. I guess that's true as well. There, there were a lot of people to dislike, actually, in the land of the living. Yeah, that's true. Like like, it was like all... that bell guy who shaped like a bell. Oh, yeah, that's right. The town crier, yeah. I love yeah. him. Ah, yeah. What a cool job. I love those, like, medieval, like, d- like dark age jobs. <laughs> Like, Those very specific functions. Village idiot. To... Before we started recording, I was talking to Ben about the groom of the stool. Oh man! The in, in the medieval in the medieval court, which was basically the guy in charge of making sure that uh, the king's portojohn was ready to go whenever he needed it. What was that title? The groom of the stool. That's great. It was a very influential position too. But yeah, it's such a specific task. <laughs> and town crier. Yeah, yeah. Um, Groom of the stool. Stuck the dismount, Dan. <laughs> End of the movie. <laughs> if you think about it, what we're doing is the modern equivalent of the town crier. If you think about it, the Curtain cast is the modern equivalent of the Groom of the Stool. <laughs> um, Imagine if the town crier like is like, I really enjoyed this show by Shakespeare. <laughs> Let me walk you through the plot of it bit by bit, and my friend Joseph over here will comment. <laughs> uh, the town cry, yeah, the town crier better have been like a pre-film critic. Yeah, that'd been great. Two thumbs chopped off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can really like. Yeah, like, morbidity and puns go very well together, don't they? They really do. Big you time. just need a body part, and then you're good. Mm-hmm. Anything else works. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's Corpse Bride. Um, I was happy pretty much the whole way through. Um, it doesn't take up too much time, so unlike most yes. movies, I, you know, most movies I like to, you know, play something 
or fiddle with something while I watch. This You didn't have time. No, this really like sinks you in. You have to look, you have to watch, and it, it, it really it goes by very quickly. It did not in waste a good way. Your, it doesn't waste your time. Leave you it, wanting that more can be said about a little bit. Which luckily, if you really want more, you you can find more. Yeah, is there a lot of like Corpse Bride fan fiction out there? I kind of mentioned Nightmare Before Christmas and Frankenweenie and, and oh, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which we might... can discuss. Yeah. We can very briefly discuss how Tim Burton has figured out the formula mm-hmm. to get money out of us, and it is to hire Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter and Danny Elfman <laughs> and, to, and to put out a whimsically macabre animated film. Corpse Bride fan fiction. Over 497 stories. Holy moly. That is impressive. But Tim Burton has the virtue of, even though he's figured out a very specific specific formula that, to to some of us, it might start to get a little tired, but they're all very skillfully made films. They're all very well cast. They're all very well made. They they vary enough in, in the way that they're done. That I don't mind it. Yeah, this is true, and this true. is just a classic example of somebody in a form of media having cornered the market. Yeah, this is like this is like the same thing that like Aqua Teen was before other like absurd cartoons hit the scene. Like this is a this is like a Chappelle show before they tried with Tyler Perry and failed. Like. It just it's fulfilling this niche that just wasn't filled before and everybody f- figured out that they needed it. So of course yeah. it's gonna yeah. sell. And this is kind of our and only exposure to this type of film if you're not into like the art house scene. What exactly is the art house scene? I don't know, but it sounded right. We're such assholes. <laughs> <laughs> there could have very easily been a much more pretentious version of this film if it mm. weren't Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about it. Like Tim Burton understands the mass appeal of certain things and he doesn't shy away from it he's uh, the 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 way i kind of see it is that tim burton has written a playbook that nobody else has learned how to read from yet so he really has cornered the market on this kind of film and it's yeah. and nobody and, and really nobody else has been able to replicate what he can do with this very basic formula that is like we said earlier it's it's really a vehicle to show off the talent of the people that he knows as voice actors, the talent of the animators that he associates with, uh, things like that. And he really does, deep down, love the subject matter that he makes these films about. And you see that a lot in older, like his older stuff. He, He made a biopic about Ed Wood that is just phenomenal and it is just a, a love letter to heart and love of the craft of filmmaking. Even though Ed Wood, as a filmmaker, uh, if you're familiar with him, <laughs> yeah. he, 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 he made things like Plan 9 from, out of, from Outer Space. <laughs> he made the garbage. Um, he, he, he made all of the garbage that we love from the 1950s because he loved what he was doing, but he was technically unskillful. Tim Burton loves what he's doing, and he has the skill to make it happen. And even if it gets a little redundant... Mm-hmm. It's still a fun time. And what's more is that if somebody else made this movie, um, they would be accused of just trying to copy Tim Burton. That's that's true. <laughs> like maybe yeah. maybe the market cannot be. You know, you, he's got a monopoly. At I mean, this point. You, you think about it. The movie's title is literally Tim Burton's Corpse Bride. Yeah, he does that with all of them, doesn't he? Does he? 
I think so. Yeah. Um, like I said, he's he's written a playbook in a language that nobody else has learned how to speak. Yeah. Yeah. But we and, all and can read. But back. we all but yeah. we all like the way it sounds. It's like mm. how French sounds sexy. <laughs> yeah. It's like Burtonese <laughs> sounds gloomy. You know, it just sounds good to uh, a little a little dead part of our soul. Um, I know we're kind of. It, it seems like we're kind of wrapping up. Um, but I wanted to open the floor for if anybody had any lingering things to say about the music or the animation or the tone of the tone of um, the movie. I did find a factoid that apparently the actors were very rarely in the same room for the voice recording. Oh, that is fucking weird. Yeah, I don't think I like that. Just it, intuitively, I mean, it. it you, I mean, you couldn't tell listening to it. No, that's true. What What was the purpose, or was it just how? things played out i don't know i i would suspect that the way the the animation style requires very clear you know easy to understand words like there's very clear enunciation mm-hmm. on the songs and the lyrics are pretty easy to follow um so so maybe that was a necessity or maybe it was just hey time constraints we know you're also doing charlie and the chocolate factory like yeah but like you guys said earlier i mean this was basically made in tim burton and johnny depp's spare time <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else's full-time job <laughs> this is the detritus so i wanted to say something about the tone which is just that yeah. i think it yeah even though it like tells you exactly what it's doing every step of the way it it felt like it was shoving its it in my face a little bit too much at times <laughs> with the butterfly not with the butterfly because that only happened like three times i i didn't get sick of the butterfly i knew what was going on i was like okay you got me <laughs> but i didn't get sick of it what i did get sick of was people constantly like parroting according to plan according to plan like i, I appreciate resonance in a theme but i feel like the mantra really overkills it like, living people suck we get it like, like they, they were all focused on like the way things should be. Yeah, verbatim, mm-hmm. according to plan. They and say they, it all the time. And 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 each character, you know, is kind of defined. Do I go with it or do I go work against it? But they all yeah, know I, what it is. Yeah, and like we've been saying that that is the tone of the thing of the entire time: acceptance or rejection of societal pressure. Mm-hmm. But you told me about it. You don't need to beat me over the head with it. You know, there's no rejection of society stronger than being dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess ascension is even greater than that, but it's hard to pull off. Mm. Only happens once in about eighty minutes. Uh, my final thought: I was surprised that I liked this film. Really? I kind of went in with a sense of, oh, another <laughs> Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter, yeah. Danny Elfman. Yeah, another Danny nightmare Elfman. on Elm Street. But, but nightmare like before I Elm said, Street. Ben. Pardon. Even <laughs> even if it gets redundant. These are some of the most talented filmmakers of our time, yeah. Tim Burton especially. Mm-hmm. Johnny Depp can be hit or miss, although one of my favorite roles of his, I just want to drop this one, The Ninth Gate, one of the most underrated roles of his. But if he started to do more stuff like that, and if Tim Burton made another thing akin to like Batman Returns or Beetlejuice or yeah. Baby's Big Adventure, I would plot over that. Yeah, I would chug that I, I, sewer I, I, water. I would love to see him return to form, but he is working a very reliable angle for himself. And you, you know what? All power to him as a filmmaker. If, if this is what he wants to do, you can't then fault he him can, for doing he, what he does well. Right. And he has it down. Mm-hmm. So I eventually ended up liking this film. I, I awesome. also I did I did expect to like it, and in fact, I liked it more than I thought. Uh, I was yeah. actually of that one as well, but uh, just because I don't like musics. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good. Uh, and it could have been that it came out when I was just at the end of high school, and I was a miserable bastard back in high school, so I might have just been an overly negative bastard. You're, you're not alone. <laughs> Weird. It's okay. I'm still ten figuring years, out the, the pacing on that one. Ten, ten, years, ten years later, I feel like I, I have just more experience to say this is technically a very good film. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that just a, a few bits of dialogue were things that I wanted to bring up in that they sounded really dramatically toned. Um, like, uh, the, like the wordplay and the dialogue, I just really appreciated when they hap- when it happened. Like half of it is like gag humor. And then the other half is like a Shakespearean play. Like the, the, the spell that, or the potion that, uh, what's his face gives to Emily is like, this would stop his heart forever. Only then would he be free to give it to you. Yeah. You know? And then there's that um, other thing, like, if you wish to return from the land of living, simply say, hopscotch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just establishing the dramatic range. Yeah. He, 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 he only, it's almost like Tim Burton only ex- exclusively works in comedy and tragedy. <laughs> or it, not, Very not little tragedy, in, between. in comedy and uh, repulsiveness, I guess. Yeah. Not really horror, but I... repulsiveness. Do you remember when Victoria's dad smiled and his jowls made like this <laughs> flapping in the wind <laughs> sound the effect? Most, it was the most just horrifying that was, thing. That was grisly. He's just, he's, Tim Burton is a master of making it all okay. <laughs> yeah. It, he mixes it well. He's a good DJ. And I just got to say one last thing about Tim Burton. He has, it seems like the uh, the reason that I was, first of all, surprised, you know, that I like this film is for what I said previously, but why I'm not surprised why I like this film in the end, he has enough artistic clout to avoid the sort of the committee system mm. of how films are made nowadays. <laughs> yes. Like when, when you see, <laughs> sorry, did you just try to hide something in a cough? No, bag? I don't think I did. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like when you look at especially some of the other animated films from more recent years, mm. it's Pablum. And and I read I read that he had this relationship with the other director, uh, Mike Johnson, um, because mm. he he said that he took care of the broad the broad strokes and the theming and the and the tone of the show, and then uh, Mike Johnson carried out like the minutia, the details, the day to day aspects of it. Mm. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, t- Tim Burton has enough artistic clout and artistic, you know, integrity to to make the film that he wants to make and not have it turn into. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm I'm trying to even think of another one of the types of films that I'm thinking of. Yeah, I, I tra- yeah exactly. <laughs> Next logical step. Transformers. Michael Bay really has cornered the market on these sort of. Otter, like you know. Anyway, this has been the Carton Cast bootleg <laughs> segment. We yes, all uh, hope I that agree. You enjoyed it. <laughs> special thanks to special guest uh, Dan Caves. Special Caves. Special I'm Caves. So honored to be here. Thank you guys. Yeah. for having me on. Thanks Thank for you. I'm happy to be here. And you got any uh, projects in the works that you wanted to plug? Uh, currently, I don't. Get on that. It's, 
it's a very it, it's asshole? a very quiet it's a very quiet time creatively for me right now. Uh, but I, I, I mean, part, part 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 of the issue we were discussing before we started recording. I I've decided I want to go to law school, so I, I'm I'm putting as much of my free time into uh, preparing for this big test. We're all gonna be sexy lawyers and scientists talking to, <laughs> you, to you about cartoons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, rub your dick on it. Um, <laughs> Anyway. What if I don't? Sorry, you were talking about something sophisticated and impressive, and I felt the need to burden Michael it Bay. up with a joke. Don't worry. I'll have plenty of dick jokes in my law career. Thank you. That's I'll all, work them in. That's, that's all, all I have ask. ever wanted from yeah. you, Dan. I'll work them in like, like Benjamin Franklin used to work fart jokes into, <laughs> into stuff. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, um, flatulence is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Um. But, uh, yes, and if you would like to support our creative endeavor, like us on Facebook, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, or leave us a comment. We love to get them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I strongly encourage you to do that, listeners. <laughs> get on it. Yeah. yeah. Hurry up. Hurry If, <laughs> hurry if you up thought up Ben and I were kidding, and a half hours. Dan says it's great. <laughs> yeah, you can trust him. He's a lawyer. He's friends with notable assholes. Cartoon hey, do not, do not put the horse before the cart, uh, my friend. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and put the horse wherever I feel like. Yeah. Sumik can put a, you can carry a horse. I'll tell you where I can put that. You put I'll that, tell you where you, you can put, put that, that fucker horse. wherever you damn well please. You've um, earned it. And we will be seeing uh, some horses and other livestock in our fine, next, Zane. <laughs> in our yeah. next fine episode. What do you What do you have next? I've accepted uh, it. We are going to be watching Garfield and Friends: A Tonal Shift. <laughs> nice. Uh, yep, going back to form. <laughs> I have vague memories of that show, show we, growing up. We should do these no. bootleg segments more often. It's really such a nice departure. Yeah, it's. It lasts a long fucking time, but yes, we are doing uh, Garfield and Friends next, so maybe we can talk about some. I don't know. I, I'm Dan. A little Monday's. spoiler. I'm going to try to just talk about Garfield without Garfield the whole time. And, and <laughs> we'll see what? if it works. And how John Arkbuckle is actually a delusional <laughs> manic. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. He's a Burton uh. too. We're all Burton on the inside. And Ben, um, what uh, what are we watching after that? Actually, up to this moment, had not decided on one. So let's say, uh, Mega Man, <laughs> the, uh, the super fighting robot, super fighting robot. I I want to watch Mega Man. I'm gonna All feel right. bad after Garfield. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, and I think we need more of these like '80s Saturday morning cartoons. That's awesome. Even though that might have yeah, been '90s. No, yeah. Now that Saturday morning cartoons are gone right? officially. Yeah, that's so sad. Saturday morning. Imagine how much more successful our podcast would be if we just called it Saturday Morning Cartoon Cast. It's never too late for a rebranding, but yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. We've it's already we too- already have shirts with eggs on them. <laughs> 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 We've already bought ten thousand chickens, Dan. We're pot committed, and that pot contains a chicken. <laughs> By the way, when do I get my free chicken? <laughs> you have to hunt it. You have to trap it with puns. But if you kill it, the worst that will happen is it will turn blue. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you get blue (laughs) eggs, which is, I believe, uh, something something Dr. Seuss. Yes. Anyway, (laughs) I think we're done. We're stretching this. Yeah, (laughs) pretty stretchy stuff. Uh, Bye, everyone. (laughs) Zane, give us a dismount. Dan, give us a dismount. 
if one of us gets a good one, let's just say them until we find one that works and then edit uh, everything. Until else. next time, keep an eye on us. But that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's see if we can top it. I hope we were humorous. <laughs> like a bone. Oh. Bone that saw is, is ready. Bone saw is ready. Like, that should just be our default. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what our default is? Safari, Safari Joe, Joe does, does it, it again. again. <laughs>